Father, what a great reminder this morning as we partook of communion that you have loved us immensely, unfathomably in the death and resurrection of your Son, that you would demonstrate your own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Thank you that that forgiveness and salvation and redemption and adoption and so many other blessings and treasures are applied to us when we turn from our sins and we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not the, perf- the things that we do, not relying upon our performance, not um, p- putting our eyes on the things of this world and thinking that attaining the treasures of this world are going to earn us favor with you in some way. It is all based upon the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ alone. We thank you for that. And we thank you, Father, that you've loved us also as your people here on this earth and that you have given us your word. Uh, Lord, your word is an expression of your great love because you have not left us to not be able to know you. Your word reveals who you are. It reveals the great plan of salvation. It reveals, uh, Lord, your infinite uh, majesty and character. It tells us, Lord, how you want us to be living life so that we might display the gospel in this world. And so, Father, we want to continue to look at your word this morning. Help us, Father, to glorify you in our hearts as we remove distractions away from ourselves. Lord, those things that may be going on that may take our focus and our attention away from your word. I pray that you would help us to be attentive, eager listeners. Because when your word is opened, the Bible is opened, you speak. So I pray that we might respond as doers of your word and not merely hearers who are self-deceived. In Jesus' name, amen. Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, if you could turn your Bibles there. Loving the study through the book of Titus. It's been very impactful to me, especially, and this chapter 2 of Titus is also going to continue to just be very impactful and pertinent for us as a church where we are at. If you are there in Titus chapter 2, if you're able to stand with me, please stand for the reading of God's word. And if you are not able to do that for physical reasons, it's okay. Just follow along in in, in the Word, okay? If you don't have a Bible, make sure that you grab one in front of you or follow with somebody next to you, okay? Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You may be seated. The title of our message this morning is The Influence of Older Men. The Influence of Older Men. And speaking of influence, I read a funny little excerpt on the negative influence that one's company can sometimes have on us. It reads like this. One day, farmer grabbed his shotgun to shoot at a flock of pesky crows. Unfortunately, he didn't see, he didn't see his sociable parrot that had joined the crows. So after firing a few shots, he walked over to the fallen birds and was surprised to find his parrot badly ruffled with a broken wing. At least he wasn't dead, right? When the farmer's children saw the injured bird, they ran and they asked, Daddy, what happened? The farmer simply replied quietly, Bad company. <laughs> for those of you who didn't get it, just think about it for a couple, a few seconds. <clears throat> Funny example of the influence that company can have on us, sometimes not so positive, right? As we speak about this issue of influence. On a more serious, uh, on the more serious side, it was so encouraging uh, yesterday to be a part of the memorial uh, service for our brother Clyde Rust, who went home to be with the Lord on August the twentieth. Um, I was so encouraged um, to hear of the impact that one man could have on so many people, beginning with his family, and just how much he influenced uh, people. We saw a video um, on the screen behind me. Uh, of just picture after picture from the time that he was a baby to the time that shortly before he passed away of just the people that he interacted with and the lives that he touched. And then people got up and shared in the service yesterday about how, how much of an impact he had on their lives and they will never forget him, though they're thankful that he's home to be with the Lord now and at peace. And uh, it was just such an encouragement. And I know that if you've been a part of a memorial service, um, if you're like me, those are very um, just a... Times, uh, great times of reflection, right? When we begin to really stop and consider deeply, um, uh, just what about us? What about me? I started thinking yesterday. Um, what will the end of my story be like? And when it's all said and done for me, and I pass away from this earthly life, will it be said of me that I had a profound impact or that I actually had a profound influence upon people? We often talk about salvation, right? And the fact that we have salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's such a treasured thing. The greatest gift that we have is salvation. But having been saved, we understand that uh, the faithfulness of our lives will be measured largely before the Lord someday uh, on the impact and the influence that we had upon people. That having been saved and our salvation being secure in Jesus Christ, it matters how we live and how we influence the lives of other people while in this present world. And our Heavenly Father wants us to be fruitful Christians who are impacting others, who are meeting needs, who are serving other people, so that it might be said at the end of our life, well done, good and faithful servant, when we stand before the Lord, because we have impacted lives, beloved, who go on into eternity, whether in heaven or in hell. Influence is a powerful thing, isn't it? 
It's a powerful thing. In one sense, uh, chapters 1 and 2 of Titus, you might say that in one sense they are all about influence. Uh, For example, think about this. In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says that he left Titus on the island of Crete that he might help establish those churches on the island of Crete in a corrupt society. Why? So that having been established... Those churches might be a powerful influence in that wicked society, right? As they are established and stabilized. Titus is also encouraged and exhorted to influence um, the churches by appointing godly qualified leaders who are to have a positive influence on the churches via their teaching and their example. As he does that, and he appoints godly qualified leaders who are men of the book, These men will shut down the negative influence of false teachers and teaching in the churches, as seen in verses 10 through 16. So in one sense, chapter 1 of Titus can be said to be all about influence and impact. Now, beginning in chapter 2, as we began looking at last week, Titus is to instruct various groups in the church, and all of us in this church would fall under one of these groups, by the way. So there's something for all of us in here. But Titus is to instruct each of these groups in the church about character and conduct, which accords with sound doctrine. And you should ask yourself why, and the answer is twofold, so that they might have a powerful influence in the lives of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and also by extension... Put the gospel on display before a wicked society around them and have a powerful gospel influence, right? We get all those so that statements in chapter 2. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. So that the doctrine of God our Savior will be adorned. So that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. It's all about influence. They are to conduct themselves with godly character and conduct so that they might have an influence, be a light in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. So chapter 2 can be said to be, in one sense, all about influence, right? And of course, at the top of the list of those who are now instructed and are to exert influence, now Titus is to instruct these individuals, are older men in the church in chapter 2 and verse 2. And that's what we're going to zero in on today. After leaders in the church, I think it's safe to say, at least in my experience, my limited experience, after leaders in the church, no one in the church has the potential um, ability to influence greater than older men. Older men. In fact, it is mostly from this group of older men, if you think about it, that the godly qualified leaders of chapter 1 would have come from. The white-haired ones. Older men who were godly qualified men of the book. From those men, godly qualified leaders would come from for the most part. So older men have the potential of exerting great influence in the church, beloved. But sadly, in so many cases, older men in churches are either not realizing the profound impact and influence that they can exert upon the younger generation of Christians in the church... Or they're disobedient to their call to impact the next generation. John Stott has written this, quote, The latter years of a man's life, especially for men, can be filled with regrets, a sense of uselessness or worthlessness, feelings of despair, self-absorption, or even a tendency to relax moral standards because of old age. However... 
Paul desired for the older men what he desired for himself as he approached the end of his life. To have fought the good fight. To have finished the race. To have kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4.7. Biblical history as well as secular history sadly reports the lives of those who did not finish well. End quote. How true that is, isn't it? How true that is in many of the lives of older men. That they can come to the latter years of their life and be so paralyzed with regret and unmet expectations or unmet, unfulfilled goals or dreams on the one hand, or be passive and complacent because they've achieved um, uh, stuff in this, on this earth and they now become passive with regards to having a profound impact upon the next generation and thus not glorifying Jesus Christ. They miss sight of the fact that their, their journey and their race is not over. It is not over. And so as we look at Titus chapter 2, verse 2, we're reminded of this, that older men, you are very, very, very much needed and indispensable to the life of this church. You're needed. You're crucial to the growth of the younger, the next generation of saints here in this body. You can have a powerful influence. You must have a powerful influence. You must have a zeal to exert impact upon the next generation. And so here in Titus chapter 2, verse 2, I want to highlight three aspects of the life of an older man that he must develop if he is to have a positive and powerful influence upon the next generation. And in so doing, not exalt yourself, but exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Three aspects of your life, older man, that you are to develop if you are to have a positive and powerful influence upon the next generation for the glory of King Jesus. And in accordance with 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1, I believe it is, I want to appeal to you as a younger man to older men, as to spiritual fathers, as if you were my own father. I want to exhort you and encourage you that you need to retake the ground that you have lost. That you need to recognize the fact that you are needed. That you need to realize how crucial your role and responsibilities carried out are to this church. That you would finish the race that you started and finish it well. Amen? I want to exhort you and encourage you to that older men. That like a runner who can't stop until he crosses the finish line. You as a Christian man, and for all of us, we cannot stop until we get to heaven. We cannot stop. So how do you run the race to win in this life? How do you finish well? These verses and and qualities are very applicable to all of us, by the way, as we're going to see. But in particular, older men can finish the race well by applying these truths to their lives. And in so doing, impacting the next generation of believers and glorifying Jesus Christ. So how does an older man finish the race well? Well, first of all, as to your character, as to your character, you older men are to be Christ-like. You are to be Christ-like in character and be cultivating Christ-likeness in your character. You say, well, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, it is. But the mentality today is that once you get older... You're kind of set in your ways, right? You know, campus, I'm, I'm kind of old now. It's difficult for an old man to change. 
There are certain traits about me that are too much a part of me. And so what happens with many older men? They simply uh, uh, remain status quo and they no longer concern themselves with growth and being relentless in their pursuit of a relationship with the Lord and the spiritual disciplines, right? Because you've achieved certain things on this earth already. Listen, that is a worldly perspective, isn't it? That complacency and passivity. The Word of God, beloved brothers, has a much higher standard to live by. Much higher standard. It says here that you ought to be Christ-like in character. Verse 2 says that older men are to be temperate, dignified, and sensible with regards to their character. The word there for older men primarily refers to those advanced in physical or chronological age. So to be older in the New Testament, and there's some debated a little bit, but generally meant that one was past the age of child rearing, or in the case of women, child bearing. In, Zach, uh, in Luke chapter 1 verse 18, Zacharias, when the angel tells him that, uh, that his wife is going to bear a child who is John the Baptist, uh, Zacharias' response in Luke chapter 1 verse 18 is, how can, I, how can this be since I am an old man advanced in years? Right? The implication is, um, I'm past that age of young manness, right? How could that be? In Philemon verse 9, Paul refers to himself as the aged, and he was probably in his early 60s, potentially, a little bit of debate there as well, when he said that. So, you know, generally in the New Testament, what we find is that to be considered older meant that you were above the age of 40, right? So even though in our context today, some of you are still going strong, having babies and everything, right? At the, at the age of 40 plus in some of your cases, right? So I would say this, you are an older man. If you've raised children, if you have, you're past that period of time where the bulk of your time is, is in, in rearing your own kids. Now maybe you're a grandparent, right? Or maybe your kids might be even older in your home still. In either case, whatever this means to be older, we're going to see how these qualities and character traits are very applicable to all of us. And the reality of it is, is for those of us who might be considered younger, right? Maybe before the age of 40, um, you don't just get older and these character traits all of a sudden just, just turn on and you become this type of a person, right? All of us need to be cultivating these types of character traits right now in the present. So here are three character, Christ-like character qualities that are to be continually, by the way, older men, true of you. The verb in chapter 2, verse 2, are, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, is a present tense verb, which means that you ought to be continually characterized by these types of qualities. You may struggle, you may wrestle, there may be difficulties, and certainly all of us are sinners and not perfect, but these are to be what characterize you as an older man if you are to be an example to the next generation and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 2, older men, first of all, are to be temperate, temperate or sober. It was a, in the technical sense, temperance had to do with abstaining from wine. That, that was its technical use. And I think there's an aspect of that. It includes that because back in chapter 1, verse 7, we're told that elders are to be men who are not addicted to wine. In chapter 2, verse 3, older women as well are to be um, not enslaved to much wine. 
That's why this term temperance sometimes is, is translated sober or sober-minded because there's an aspect of that. But later on, temperance came to have a wider range of meaning and came to mean uh, to be free of excess or intoxication in all matters, particularly moral and spiritual matters. In other words, there is nothing that has taken control of you and is, and is dominating you or ruling over your life so that it's become a master with a capital M over you, right? Trumping the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're young, the tendency is to be excessive, right? To lack moderation, to lack balance. That's why in chapter 2, verse 6, Titus is told by Paul to instruct the younger men to be sensible. Why does he have to do that? Because young men are not known for being sensible generally, right? But the older that you get, the more that you learn to practice self-control, to learn balance in different areas of your life, Older men come to a point where they realize the importance of being alert and sober-minded, of being clear-headed individuals who focus on the main things. And so they strive to, to be free from excess and intoxication, not just in things such as alcohol, but from anything that may control them and may dominate them and take their eyes away from God's kind of priorities. Can you say this morning, that you practice self-denial in areas such as alcohol, pornography, drugs, gambling. I would say with all of those things, those things should not even be a, be, there shouldn't even be a hint of those things in our lives. All of us as a congregation, but in particular, you older men. But then there are wisdom issues such as like hobbies, your exposure to sports, your intake of television or exposure to television right? Um, in our day and age, social media, your iPhone, your iPad, your computer, would you say that you have control over those things or those things have control over you? That you are sensible with regards to those things that can detract your attention away from God's kind of, uh, kind of priorities. See, some of us, it's not that some of those things are bad or evil in themselves, but if we become focused upon them and fixated upon them so that they take our eyes away from our God-given responsibilities, men, especially you older men, then those things become sinful things in themselves as well. Where you are no longer shepherding your wife and kids, where you are no longer caring for people, where you are no longer being a, a man who in the workplace who works wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, where you are no longer even available to meet the needs of other people, give your time and your resources because you're so fixated upon those things that are peripheral, that are secondary, and they're robbing you of the time that you should be investing into souls that are going to go on for eternity in hell or heaven. So older men are known for temperance. Look at verse 2. Older men are to be dignified. Dignified. This refers to living a life worthy of respect or, or honor. This quality of being dignified is so important that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it is required of elders that they be dignified. It is required of deacons. It is required of women who lead other women in the church, women who serve other women. They should uh, live a life of dignity. So it's very, very important to have a respectable life. Where does that come from? Where does 
living a life of dignity, a life worthy of respect flow from? I think it flows, doesn't it, from a life of, of, of uh, that that's, you had a lot of life experience. You've lived life. You, older men have experienced hurts and pains and trials and tragedies and afflictions and other things. And thus you have learned that while life is to be enjoyed thoroughly because you don't have very many days, right? It is not a joke. Life is not a joke. Life is not a game. Time is not to be wasted. People are not to be exploited for your own use. Older men have learned some of this through life experience. And it leads to them taking life serious and living it with with purpose, right? And as they do that, others look at their lives that are are respectable and dignified and and that they know how to rightly order their priorities. And there's a seriousness and a sense of purpose in that older man. And so thus their life is worthy of being emulated, right? Dignified. Moses, my favorite character in the Old Testament, was a man of dignity, a man who was dignified. And in Psalm 90, which is my favorite psalm in the Psalter, probably the first psalm written if it was written by Moses, Moses in Psalm 90 is reflecting upon the the nation of Israel and and her journey. And he begins with the eternality of God, that God has always been from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. And then he begins to reflect upon the the, um, temporal nature of human beings. That in comparison to God, we are but a, but a, a passing moment, right? We are like a watch in the night. Men are like, like grass, which one day sprouts anew, and the next day we are withered away and we pass away. In light of the eternality of God, man is nothing. Time is fleeting quickly. And then he, he begins to reflect upon the judgment and the wrath of God because Moses had conducted more funerals than anybody else. He had buried many of his fellow Israelites. And so as he reflects upon that, he begins to talk about the judgment and the wrath of God towards sin because the nation had over and over again not repented of their sin. And God had judged them and punished them for their sin. And so in light of that, in light of the eternality of God and the temporal nature of man and the fact that judgment is sure and God will punish sin if people don't repent and turn from their sins. In light of that, in Psalm 90 verse 11, Moses says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And later on he says, Do return, O Lord, how long will it be and be sorry for your servants? God, Moses knew that the only hope that they had was forgiveness before the Lord, that only he can forgive them. But he was a man who had become serious minded about the things of God. You see, he said, we need to live life with wisdom Lord, teach us to number our days to, to, in light of the brevity of life, to rightly live life with wisdom. Solomon at the end of Ecclesiastes Having lived a long life, partook of every pleasure imaginable, if you remember. Solomon partook of every pleasure that you and I could ever partake of, and then some. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, what is his conclusion? He says, in the end, this is what it comes down to. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this applies to every person. This applies to every person. In the end... Solomon realized that none of those pleasures satisfied him because they were pursued independent of God and against God's word and God's will. And Solomon 
had not lived a life of dignity, right? See, older men and older saints have this sense of seriousness about them, of purpose, because they recognize that life is brief. And so they need to live life to its fullest right now. That is the mark of a Christ-like, godly, older person. That is the mark of a Christ-like, godly, older man. This dignity, look at verse 2, flows from within, doesn't it? He says, older men are to be sensible. They are to be sensible. Literally, it means a saved mind. They are to have a sound, healthy mind. What kind of a mind that we have prior to coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ? It was a, a lost, unsaved mind, right? A useless mind. A vain, corrupt mind. Because a mind not used for the glory of God is a vain, corrupt, useless mind. But as believers, having been redeemed by Christ, we have a saved mind. And we are to cultivate a healthy, uh, healthy thinking patterns. And so the emphasis on being sensible in verse 2 is on this man's clear-headedness. On the, him being a serious thinker, which then shows itself in a self-control, self-disciplined lifestyle that others can emulate. Sensibility is prominent here in Titus. Elders are to be sensible in chapter 1 and verse 8. Older men, here in verse 2 of chapter 2. Younger women, if you look in chapter 2, verse 5, are to be taught to be sensible. We're going to see what that means. Younger men are, ex- are to be exhorted in chapter 2, verse 6, to be sensible. And all believers, according to Titus chapter 2, verse 12, are, to be, are, are instructed by grace, sustaining, sanctifying grace, to, to a, a conduct that is sensible. Living life sensibly righteously, godly in this present world. Well, how do we cultivate a sensible mind, beloved? It's by means of exposure to the Word of God, right? Being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Being those who are looking intently at the, at the Word of God and reflecting upon the Word of God. You talk about reasons for why you should be exposing yourself daily to the Word of God in a deep manner and profound manner and thinking deeply about the things of the Lord as revealed in the Bible. Here it is. You want to cultivate a sensible mind, a mind that is disciplined, right? Where, you're, where you are not all over the place, but you understand what the will of God is in accordance to His Word. James 1.25 says that the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man or woman shall be blessed in what he does looking intently at the perfect law, which is the Word of God. That's how we cultivate sensibleness in our own minds, beloved. So note, older men are men of character, Christ-like character, who are to be temperate. That means that they are free of excess in moral or spiritual matters. That's the kind of uh, temperance they, they, they uh, cultivate. They are to be dignified, which means worthy of respect and honor. And that flows from within and that they are to be sensible, clear-headed, and thus self-disciplined in their conduct. These would be the opposite, right, of being a, a reckless, shameless, and corrupt of mind kind of person. Instead of temperate, you are reckless. Instead of dignified, you are shameless. Instead of sensible, you're a corrupt of mind kind of person. And that shows forth in you being out of control as far as your priorities in life. In your conduct, this Christ-like character, I want to remind us, men, finds expression in how you fulfill your God-given roles, 
that God has given you? What are those roles? What are those responsibilities? Your home? Your marriage? Parenting? Even grandparenting now to some capacity or another? In the church? Before the world? So that if we were to ask people in those contexts, the home or the church or the world, which includes your work environment or your, the na- your neighborhood in which you live or extended family who are not believers, if we were to ask people in those contexts, if these Christ-like qualities characterize you, what would your wife, your kids, the church, people in the world say? Ha! Are you kidding me? That guy is not known for those kinds of qualities right there. I didn't even know he was a Christian. Really? That guy's a Christian? I've never seen him display this kind of character. Or, yes, I know that man. I know that man. Yeah, he's weak. He struggles. He falls on his face. But he's an example to me in those areas, and I don't even believe in his Jesus. But I know that that man cultivates those character qualities because of the fact that he loves his Christ. Could it be said of you, men, that that is who you are? Is that true of you? Is this the type of character that you are cultivating in your life? Again, don't buy into the worldly mentality that you can get to the end of your life, and at the end of your life you can say, I'm set in my ways. I don't have to change anymore. When you get older, you just stay as you are at that point. You kind of roll into eternity. No. Men, what the Bible says is that this is the kind of man you need to be and strive to be. This is the kind of Christ-like character you must cultivate for the glory of God and so that you might be an example to the next generation. Amen? This is the kind of man you must be. God's standard is the sky is the limits. And we know it's by His grace that we're able to pursue that, right? This is the type of character that we must strive for. All of us, but in particular, older men. And this type of character then shows itself in your conduct. In your conduct. How do you run the race to win and finish strong? Secondly, as to your conduct, older men are to be mature. As to your character, you are to be Christ-like. As to your conduct, you are to be a mature man. This gets down to the nitty-gritty and what people can see in your life, in your example in the direction, in the trajectory of your life. People can actually see this so that they are willing to follow you because you follow Christ and they want to follow people like you who are on their way to following Jesus. You know, age is an interesting thing, isn't it? Age isn't always a sure indicator of how mature a person is. Um, A number of years ago, I remember one of a guy that was discipling me. Um, we canceled an older man in his late 50s, and, he, and my um, shepherd brought me in just to kind of train me uh, and teach me the ropes as to what he, he did as far as engaging this man and just trying to dissect what was going on and take him to Scripture. And it was amazing. This older man was not loving his wife. He was getting to the point even where he was, he was so, he'd get so angry that he was almost at the point of physically abusing her, abusing her. He had never been a godly father to his kids. Yet he professed to know the Lord. Now they were gone, and he wasn't even engaged with his own grandkids. 
or his ki- let alone his kids. He was almost on the verge of losing his job at that time because of his lack of character and his laziness in the workplace. And we're counseling this guy, and I'm just listening to the conversation as it's going back and forth. And afterward, after we said goodbye to him, we went to Denny's, my mentor and I, and we sat down, and I, and I just poured out my heart like, what is going on with this guy? Like, he's in his 50s for crying out loud. And very calmly, my, my uh, mentor brother in Christ said this. He said, Kempis, the problem is that this man has not learned to act his age and grown up. He has not grown up. He's still a kid at heart. And beloved men, let me tell you this. You can be a young person and have a tremendous amount of spiritual maturity, or you can have older people who are children as far as maturity goes. And all you got to do is look at our society around us. Men, adolescence is stretching into the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, and yay, verily, even the 70s, we have men who are physically that old, but they are spiritual infants, even in churches, even in churches. And our culture has not helped this. Our society hasn't helped this. Let alone the video game world that many of you like to delve into, by the way. Men in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s spending hours and hours and hours playing video games. That, beloved, is a mark of immaturity. I am not saying that doing that in and of itself is sin, but if you are so fixated upon those things that they take hours and hours and hours, and you are not fulfilling your God-given roles and responsibilities, listen to me, you need to repent of squandering the time that you have, of not shepherding your wife, of not shepherding your kids, of not being a diligent worker in the workplace, of not serving in the church, because you're so consumed and fixated upon those things that just are time takers, and you can never redeem that time again, right? Once you lose the time, it's gone. It is gone. And those things are not of eternal value at the end of the day. Souls of people are who will either dwell in hell forever or in heaven if they've turned from their sin and put their faith in Jesus. That's what matters. That is ministry, investment into lives. And so if those things are keeping you away from doing that, you need to repent of your lack of redeeming the time because the days are evil. Develop and cultivate maturity. Older men are to be mature and all of us are to be pursuing maturity. See, contrary to what the world says, the Bible holds us to a higher standard. Can you imagine, by the way, can you imagine in that day and age, these older men are, are listening to these instructions and are being instructed accordingly. And they're looking at, well, what about, well, wait a minute, Titus, but what about the Cretan society? I mean, people are wicked. This is what's acceptable. Let us blend in. Come on, Titus, narrow-minded pastor. No. Titus says, you need to be temperate, dignified, sensible in the midst of a Cretan wicked culture. And in so doing, display the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the transforming power of what Jesus can do in a heart. You need to be a man who is mature in character. In the midst of that, and I would say the same thing to us today, living in a Cretan-like society where truth is relevant and where tolerance is the name of the game and no one wants to make a stand on what is true anymore and what is real and no one wants to make a stand and stand in the gap for the Lord and for His truth anymore. We need to be men who are doing that. And it begins with you older men. 
The Bible doesn't give us, beloved, in light of our culture and our society, a pass on pursuing, on not pursuing maturity, right? And that's what we learn here. Verse 2 says that men are to be sound, look it, in verse 2, in faith, in love, and in perseverance. That word sound there, we've seen that before. Sound doctrine leads to sound living, right? Sound means healthy. But here, I think it also has a sense of strength or, or stability, or might I say maturity. Older men are to be mature, sound in three areas having to do with conduct. Because I think this is, faith, love, and perseverance are subjective. They're experienced. They are to be sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Notice, first of all, in verse 2, they are to be sound in faith with regards to their conduct. This is not a nebulous or undefined faith, but this is faith in God. Faith in God. Older men trust God. That's their pattern. And they trust God, listen to me, because they have a deep knowledge of God. Because of an intimate relationship with God over many, many years. Because isn't your faith only as strong as the object of your faith? So if you have a a powerful, mighty, and you have a high view of God, then you're going to trust God, right? Older saints do this. Older men know their God and and they've lived long, long lives where they know that God has a, a, a clean track record. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He is in utter control even when we don't think that he's in utter control, right? They know God. I remember back in college, Ernie. I will never forget that man. He was pushing 50 at the time. I was about... 19 or 20 years old, a baby believer, um, still had a, the eggshell on my head from having been hatched in Christ, just didn't know very much. And I would, he would pick me up for college Bible study, and I'd be sitting there all emotional and just distraught and, you know, Ernie, my life is falling apart. I would tell him on the way to the college Bible study that he hosted in his home. My life is falling apart. I am juggling a job. I'm taking 13 units at the local community college. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. By the way, you'll never have more time than when you're in college. Right? Some of you who are married know that now, right? College students complain, wait, I don't have any time. Listen to me. Trust me. This is the time to serve the Lord. Okay? You're not going to have more time than in your college years. But I would pour out my heart to him. Be all emotional, and he would say, just very calmly, he would look at me, and he would say, Kempis, I don't know what kind of God you worship, but I worship a God who is utterly in control of everything in my life. I trust God because of his character. And he'd open up the Psalms and show me the character of God, and he would exhort me in such a gentle way, Kempis, trust God. Trust God. He can be trusted See, that's what mature people, older saints, and that's why we who are younger need to invite the input of older saints who are mature and seasoned because they have this general disposition of of joyful calmness and serenity because they know God's track record. They know their God. And each of us need older saints like this who, who sometimes calmly and other times firmly will simply say to us, be still and know that God is God. Trust Him. Trust Him. Older godly saints do that. 
And you who are older men need to be men who are sound in faith, who trust your God. And we as the next generation can see it in your life. And we want to emulate that trust in the Lord. Look at, secondly, older men are to be sound not only in faith, but in love. Older men show their maturity and that they love God because that's where love for people flows from, right? You love God and therefore you are a lover of people. You love people. You love your friends as well as your enemies. You've learned to not pick a a fight uh, with every single enemy that you may have. You are a lover of people. What is love? What is love? Love is the affectionate, self-sacrificial giving of yourself for the good of another person. The affectionate, self-sacrificial giving of yourself for the good of another person. Listen to me. Love is felt and it is motivated by an internal affection. It isn't just duty. There is affection. But we also understand that when those feelings are not there, if you want to put it that way, then we are also called to express our love in action even when we don't feel like loving, right? That is agape love, love of action. But that doesn't mean devoid of affection. Older men are men who love, who are affectionate, and they express their love in kind deeds, in serving other people, because that's how you express your love in action. You meet needs. You extend kindness to to others. I've known men like that. Knew a man like that who was a man. We used to uh, joking joke about him. We used to call him the man of many gifts, the man of many gifts. You know why? Because he was he would always ask you, "How can I be praying for you, such and such, Campus? How can I be praying for you?" Say, so, brother, you could pray for me this way, and you could pray for me that way. He says, "Okay, I'll pray for you." And then now, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? It's always hard to ask people to do things for us, right? It's always been hard for me to do that. But he would want to put his love into action, kind deeds. And he would often give me gifts and cards and things like that. Not because I asked or I was was worthy of that. He was just a man of many gifts. He was a lover of people. That man has soon passed away. Seven years ago, he passed away. Many people bore testimony to 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 the powerful impact that that man had upon their lives. Like Dorcas in the book of Acts, who was a woman of many gifts. She used to make quilts and and covers for people. And people started crying and weeping. Oh no, Dorcas is gone. The woman of many, many deeds. And then she was raised from the dead, right? Such was this man, a man sound in love of many gifts. Older men, I want to ask you. I want to ask you this question. As you have gotten older, have you become more loving, more kind, We're willing to meet needs. And I ask you this because what is typical in our society, and this infiltrates the church as well, is that as old, as men become older, they grow more bitter. They grow more sour. They grow more resentful and unforgiving. They become negative, gossiping about people. They don't see any positive in anything. Everything is negative. And they're not afraid to express that and slander and gossip. That's typical of older men in our society. And yet God says that older men must be characterized by being sound in love. In love. And so let me ask you, 
Do you have a friendly disposition toward other people, especially those who are younger than you? What about the so-called millennials? If you really want to rock the boat right now. Those aliens called the millennials. As some of you older people kind of tend to think of them, right? Who you don't understand. They come from, a, from, a, from Mars. They do things differently than we do. I don't understand. I can identify with them. Do you befriend them? Do you try to help them see how the past should not be forgotten and it will be repeated in the present if they're not careful, regardless of the difference of society? Are you kind toward them? Or when they look at you or they they see you around churches, it's like you're just sucking on a lemon because your disposition shows your sourness. That you have a disdain and they're a burden to you because they don't think the way that you do. And in the olden days, everybody did everything perfectly, right? I appreciated so much the last three men's events that I've been at. And I notice this because I tend to notice these kinds of things. Not because I'm always looking for this, but I just appreciated so many, so many older men in our men's breakfast at the Rotunos in a wiffle ball men's event that we had at his house at a Dodger game recently. How many older men were making their way around to speak to the younger men? And even the teens that were there. You talk about... You talk about invigorating and energizing a soul. You did that for me, young older men. And you do that for us who are younger. When you go out of your way to be a man who is sound in love and you reach out to the younger generation because you want to glorify Christ and you want to impact them and you know that the Lord may not have you here for many more years, you, your higher, greater goal is to build up the church and so your, um, your part in that is to reproduce yourself at a high level with the younger generation who's going to go further beyond you in this life. That is your heart. And that's motivated by love, isn't it? Older men are to be sound in faith and love. Look at in, in verse 2 in perseverance. In perseverance. The word means to remain or abide under perseverance, sometimes translated as endurance. And specifically, this is perseverance with reference to your experience of hardships and difficulties in life. Older men who are mature have a track record for not giving up, not throwing in the towel when hardships come their way. They may get discouraged, they may struggle, but ultimately because of their profound, deep relationship with God, they know their God. He, they know that they can remain courageous because they stand firm in God. Amen? Older men are steadfast in the will of God. They persevere, they endure. And the reason, beloved, why they, why they are able to do this, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, in the race of the Christian life, is because in the race that they're soon to finish, they are fixing their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith, who endured the cross himself, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of his Father above. Right? They set their eyes on Jesus. They are energized by Christ and the gospel daily. Even in their struggles, they're reminded of the forgiveness that Jesus has accomplished in the race that He ran for them on their behalf. 
That's why, according to James 1, they're able to consider it all joy when they experience various trials. Because you know, James chapter 1, verse 2, you know from experience is the, is the, the word for know there. Consider it all joy when you experience various trials because you know from experience that the testing of your faith produces what? Produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Older men understand that God has a purpose for their trials, right? So they let endurance have its perfect result that they might grow. Men have experienced pain, older men, disappointment, trials, afflictions, difficulties, but they know that God in every single situation, He has delivered and been faithful because when we are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself, right? He cannot deny Himself. So note, the older godly man's mature conduct, first of all, with relation to God, he trusts God. With relation to fellow man, he's a lover of people. With relation to his suffering, he perseveres and he endures. Why? Because he knows that suffering is a part of a broken world, but he does not lose heart because Jesus has run the race to win already and he is, he is clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? Fixes his eyes on Jesus, his sure hope. He trusts God. He's a lover of people. He perseveres in suffering. You might be saying to yourself, this is a high standard. This is so different than the world around us. Amen. Preach it. It is. Yes. But this is God's standard. This is God's word, right? Counter to the secular, wicked, corrupt society around us, which gives older men a pass and they can sit around playing video games at the age of 60 years old. You who are older men are called to be this type of men. You are called to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. And you ask, how might I be able to do that? That is an insurmountable thing to do, to have this kind of character and conduct. And I say, yes, amen, but you can do it by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Chapter 2, verse 11. On the heels of exhortations to various groups, I will continue to point you to this over and over again because here's the, the basis and the motivation and the ground of our obedience to the things that God instructs us in Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation to all men. And that grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live on the positive side sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And there's anticipation in this, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, the one who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. By the grace of God, beloved men, we can be these types of men. Paul, the great apostle, great accomplishments, great church planter, great equipper of men, great missionary. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he quotes Jesus as saying, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Right? So Paul says, I would rather boast about my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong in who? In Jesus. Grace of Christ, beloved men.
Well, we'll look at the third aspect next week. Let me close with this. One author comments, quote, It is immaturity that keeps men endlessly glued to entertainment instead of enjoying it in moderation. It is immaturity that keeps men obsessed with pornography instead of living in purity, pursuing a bride, and finding delight in her body. It is immaturity that traps men in fear and apathy and keeps them from making bold steps and decisions for Christ. Immaturity is a modern day plague, end quote. So true, isn't it? And yet God's word calls us to a higher standard, men. And in particular, you older men. As to your character, you are to be Christ-like. As to your conduct, you are to be mature. And thirdly, we're going to look next week as to your calling, you are called to reproduce yourself in the church. You're called to reproduce yourself. Father, oh Lord, time is never enough. Forgive me, Lord, for not always being as efficient up here, but there is so much, Lord, to look at in your word. Father, help us to apply these truths to our lives. Oh Lord, I pray for a new generation of older men who are absolutely passionate for your glory and who want to see a culture of discipleship in your church, who want to be committed to investing their lives at a high level into the younger people of the church, beginning with younger men. Oh, Lord, help us to be those kinds of individuals, those kinds of men. Help us as a church, Father, to be cultivating an atmosphere, an application of your word, of a culture of discipleship, of mutual life-on-life investment into one another, leading to conformity to Jesus. That is how we apply your word, the practicing of the one another's and the effective use of our gifts to edify one another. Help us, Lord, to be diligent and to remember that there is nothing that we can do apart from your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.